Thank you for the offering, for that song. Praise, tune my heart to sing thy grace. That's a pretty deep thought. Is that where, is that where our heart is tuned? Where my heart's tuned this morning? Welcome each one here this morning. Let me open your Bibles to 2 Kings 7. I'd like to look at another story. In fact, we're going to break into a story. And so, to get in context, we're going to have to go back into chapter 6. And in verse 24, it says, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered a host and went up to besiege Samaria. And... Because they were surrounding Samaria and besieging Samaria, they couldn't go in or out, it created a famine. And it came to the place that it says in verse 25 that an ass's head was sold for four score or 80 pieces of silver and a fourth part of a cab, which... My Bible notes say that's one pint. One pint of dove's dung was for five pieces of silver. And that's that's the situation they're in. Or $640 for a pint of bird poop. And I don't... I'm not sure how all those comparisons work, but we know that's, that's desperate. Desperate situation, and in fact, it was so desperate that this king, the king of Samaria, he was passing by. No doubt, he's feeling responsible for the city and helpless. And here's this woman crying out, and things had gotten so desperate, and she was crying not because yesterday they she had made a pact with a woman that they would eat her son one day, and then tomorrow they were going to eat the other lady's son. And she went ahead. they went ahead and ate her son, and now they're both hungry again, and the other woman had hid her son. And it says in verse 30, when it came to pass and the king heard this, he rent his clothes. And he blamed Elisha and sent a man to Elisha, called him the, see how this son of a murderer talks about him, and um, anyway, that's, that's the context when he sent this messenger. We're coming into chapter 7. We're going to look at a snapshot in this story. That's where I'd like to take my message from this morning. And then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 1. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Now this, probably is still fairly expensive because this is 70, 75 pounds of flour for $100. I don't know what flour costs very well these days, but it seems to me it would be a commodity and be pretty cheap. But we know that it was still 75 pounds of flour in comparison was 20% of the pint of dove's dump. So it's a complete difference they were going to see. And Elijah's saying, tomorrow by this time, things are going to be different. Then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord make the windows in heaven, make windows in heaven might this thing be. And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, 
but shall not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering into the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say, well, we will enter into the city, then famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they arose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp and went into into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then said they one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told him them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice or man, but horses tied, and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And then, that's the end of where I'm going to read, but just to, to continue the story further, <clears throat> the king said, well, the Syrians are probably just trying to trick us. So he sent the five horses they had left in Samaria. And they went and followed the trail, and there were clothes strewn along the trail. And they said, no, this is they're, they're gone for good. And so people went out and uh, spoiled the, spoiled the, uh, the Syrians, brought it to the city. It was fulfilled that the 75 pounds of flour sold for a shekel. And the Lord, of the, of that, on whose hand the king leaned, was trampled in the gate of the city, according to this uh, prophecy. That's not the main point, but uh, if I follow my notes, we'll come back to that. Um, This message is one that, um, I don't know, it's um, it's my intention to make everyone a bit here uncomfortable this morning. It, uh, it certainly um, has made me uncomfortable enough that I've, uh, this is probably at least my fourth or fifth attempt to bring this message and I kind of just check it out. I'm not sure if I can... Um, I can give the heart of the message in a in a in the right way. But I'd like to think about these lepers. These four lepers. And and the part those four lepers played in the kingdom that day. You know, if they wouldn't have been lepers, they would have never been at the gate of the city. You think about this. This was a city besieged, and these four lepers were on the outside of the gate of the city. And they would not have heard Elisha. And they would not have gone to the Syrian camp. If they wouldn't have been at risk. We look at that. They, they said, we're going to sit here till we, why sit we here till we die? There's that complete hopelessness. In fact, 
You think about their options. They were all hopeless. They didn't have any good options. They said we go into the gate of the city. If we, if we can get in there, there's no food there. If we, um, and as lepers, as outcasts, they would tend to be at the gate of the city. That was their focus. Their, their, their ideal in life was to be cured of their leprosy and be back inside the gate. But there, at this point, I believe there was a great equalizer with this famine that they all had this one great need, and that was food. That was their biggest need. But they also understood that typically when the food comes, the lepers wouldn't be first. They were still at the bottom. And they finally said, well, let's just go fall at the mercy of the Syrians. Now, historically, the Syrians weren't known for mercy. That That wasn't their strong point. But it was so bad that they were willing to go fall, fall to the mercy of, it says, fall into the host of the Syrians. And if they have mercy, we live. And if not, we die. And we see that complete, just hopelessness they had because they were lepers. And then they went. They went quickly from hopelessness to prosperity. And they ate and they drank and they found riches and raiment. But they didn't stop there. Well, they did, actually. It says they weren't. And apparently, this was all happening fairly fast because while twilight can be morning or evening. It would almost seem like they were coming to themselves in the night and that the first first of light in the twilight at the same time the Syrians left and they went into the camp. And then it says before morning light um, they went they went into the city. If we tarry till the morning light until the sun is up so apparently this was all was all happening pretty fast. And they were convicted. Like they said, We do we do not well. And they they took they went and they told the king. And the city was saved by the lepers. They didn't just say, we don't do well. They went, they, there was action. And the title, the title of my message this morning is A Leper's Honor or The Honor of a Leper. And leprosy in the, in the Bible times was a it was a generic term for a wide range of skin diseases. And we're not going to take the time to go back to the Leviticus and go through all the cleansing, the observation of the leper. But the most obvious is one we know is that they had to be quarantined. They had to live outside the city or outside the camp. It was a lonely, vulnerable life. They were social outcasts. And I believe that most of the time that that was a greater burden than the disease itself. I have a question. Does this apply to us today? Or is this just something in the Bible times? Do we have lonely, vulnerable outcasts, social outcasts in our society? 
You know, sometimes, many times, these things that cause this are aspects that are out of our control. Sometimes there are things that are in our control. Leprosy was, or it, was, many of those skin diseases were contagious. That was why they had the the, the quarantine. But they feel like barriers, barriers from fully entering into the gates of the city and or the Halsey Mennonite Church, or you can label your congregation if you're visiting. Some things that, just some practical things, and I, I'm sure I didn't include enough here, but there are things that make people feel like outcasts sometimes. Financial instability. I think that especially affects people in their growing up years. Or we could just say the poor versus the rich. And this through through history has had an effect on how people relate to others. And Jesus had words for how, how we relate to the poor. Physical handicap can bring that feeling. Other areas of health, um, especially chronic illness or obesity, mental health or mental handicap, wrong, which includes wrong self-concepts or just weird thinking, sometimes low IQ or conspiracy theories or being controlling and manipulative or a narcissist. Sometimes just not not having family, not being not feeling connected in a, a larger group. Or being part of a larger in, interconnected family structure. Or simply being a social misfit. Can't make it, can't fit in no matter how hard I try. Or non-Mennonite background. Another thing is sin, and especially moral failure. And how that's related to. You know, some of these things, that was quite a list, and there's probably others that could be added. I'm not going to go deeply into that. But some of the things can we can control and some we can't. But at some point, we all have a history and we need to go from here. And there's, there's varying degrees of control that we have. But there was a a theologian. I, I didn't write the name down, and he he wrote in a prayer. And never undervalue anyone. The workman loves not to have his work despised and is present. God is present everywhere, and every person is present in His work. Never undervalue anyone. A workman loves not to have his work despised in his presence. God is present everywhere. And every person is his work. Now this applies whether you are the outcast or the outcaster. We should not despise ourselves. Because we are the work of God. And we should not despise others because others are the, is the work of God. And we go back into this story. The city of Samaria was there and they were expecting if they were going to be delivered, it would probably they were probably looking to the king and they were looking to the Lord on whose hand the king leaned to be a prominent person to help in this matter. 
But he wasn't where their deliverance came from. It came from the lowly outcast lepers. And I would say that these actually what I have come to believe is that feelings of inferiority and insecurity are very common. And so this probably, this subject probably applies to all of us and there's probably aspects where we um, sometimes all feel like the outcast and sometimes we're the outcaster. I'm using those, I'm using some general terms here because I don't know what else to do. Um, and maybe often we're both. But I, I have come to believe that everyone faces this. So while we are feeling alone, the fact is we not, are not alone. Others understand and we may be too self-focused. And one thing I've struggled with a lot on, in, in my bringing up this subject, bringing this subject is that I realize that there's a there's a a tendency and something like this that it could stir up ones and be discouragement to those that are feeling outcast and not do much for the outcasters. But my my burden is exactly the opposite. It could be a comfort to those that are feeling like a leper. It might stir us up to consider. Because one thing I have noticed as a group, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sitting here just saying that this church is just um, destroying people, we're just a bunch of outcasters, but I've noticed a tendency that you can get a group of very nice, um, generous people together that think of others, you know. But sometimes when they they come together and make policies or maybe maybe just even in group conversation a spirit comes through that makes it feel like there's no room. There's just there's no understanding and there's no room. That's something I'd be good if we'd be aware of. And you know, these things, we can be inside the gate of the city, so to speak. But there's these things that can be barriers that were not really accepted. And people want and need the feeling of connection and acceptance. So as I'm attempting to address this this morning, there's some ways I don't have many answers, but I would like to look at look at a few. Now, as I go back to my school teaching years, a few years ago, and the schools I've been involved with, and the children that I crossed paths with early on in life, especially if you go back years, and as I consider the paths they took, and there's a clear there's a clear line that the ones that had harder times and were tormented and bullied and marginalized for various reasons had a tendency towards making bad choices or wrong choices later in life. And This makes me incredibly sad. Because it speaks of a, of a failure of a system. A systemic failure. And we say, well, they made bad choices. Yeah, they did. But I can also say, with great joy, 
that there those in their hopelessness have found the mercy of the Lord and it became real to them. And they've been gone on to bless others. And I can say that in almost every one of those cases, probably everyone, but I can't say for certainty everyone, but I can say that there was some godly, kind person that was an influence in their life. And they saw beyond the shell. They, they saw beyond. They saw the good. They saw the honor in the leper. They accepted them for who they were and helped orient them toward God without becoming the God of their lives. A leper's honor. We have a tendency when someone does not meet our social expectations to think that we, they will be a detriment to all of us. They'll be a detriment to the group. They, they lower the quality of the group. These lepers in this story in Second Kings 7 saved the day. Because if they had a conscience, they saved lives. God used them. He used them because they were social outcasts. And I don't believe this is an excuse for marginalizing people or making different people, to, but to convince us that God is in control. God is a good God. He is a redemptive God. And this is part of His redemptive work. I'd like to look at Jesus' heart for the leper. And, and I think it's important for us to understand that in, in Christ's day, the, the social caste system was much more definite than what we, what we um, more distinct than what we face today. But we can see the heart of Jesus toward the lowly. And they were out, there was many reasons people were outcast. And... Um, and Jesus, time and time again, went to those and, and he hazarded himself for those that were typically the social outcasts. We see it in the calling of Matthew, the publican, as he was in his tax booth. A Jewish name in a, in a publican position. And the Jews taught that there was no hope for redemption for a publican. They were so bad. And Jesus went to him and said, come, follow me. He was an outcast. And then he went on to have dinner at Matthew's house with the other publicans and sinners. The woman caught in adultery, sentenced to die, brought before Christ, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told. And again, it brings out the heart. The heart of Jesus for this poor man that sat. Wishing for a scrap. The dog's licking his sores. But seen by Christ. The Gadarene demoniac across the sea. Gentile country. The disciples wouldn't even dare to go there unless they were blown by a storm. But Christ went and freed the man from the chains of the demons that physical chains couldn't contain. Blind Bartimaeus. Blind from birth. He's called Bartimaeus because he didn't have a name. The handicapped weren't given names. He was just the son of Timaeus. That's all the better they could do. 
Christ gave him eyesight. And I've, I often wondered if he got a new name after that. And of course, the ten lepers, actually very close to the same area where this, um, where um, the story took place today. And I believe that, and there were other times that Jesus healed leprosy as well. I believe that when those ten lepers were healed, they were all overwhelmed with the good fortune that came their way that day. But one turned around and thanked and worshipped the Lord Jesus. And as I mentioned about the being the outcast and the outcaster, I suppose that in some aspect we have been or all have been or are both. You know, and I, this has been a a burden of mine for many years. This isn't just a new thought to me. And I I have tried as I go through life to think about how I'm making others feel. And in all my efforts, from time to time, I find out, you know, I completely failed. I actually, I've actually put, made people feel cast out in my response to things. And I think it's important to continue to be sensitive and to to um, listen to others. I've also, as I've gone through life and realized that, that everyone has something positive to contribute to my life and to contribute to, to me. So what is the answer? And I, just, I have some few things. They're, they're pretty simple here. But just to kind of help us think along this... this um, Line. Think about, and I think the greatest need is an understanding of God through Jesus Christ. And this is this can be such a pat answer, and it can be um, so meaningless. And I believe that sometimes we can we can actually hinder someone's understanding of God by holding them outside the gate of the city, by not accepting them. And, and we can explain all day what someone needs to do different without helping them understand, without taking the time. But in the end, a church as a social group, not as the body of Christ, but as a social group, a church will let you down. But God won't. And so the distinction here is our faith must first be grounded in God and not in people. Because people make mistakes. People fail. People we have confidence in will disappoint. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, and I'm, I'm pulling just a, almost out of context here, but I think the, I think the point applies. It says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, because ye are bought with a price, you are redeemed. And that applies to every one of us. And again, this puts us on equal Playing field. This is this is a great equalizer. Every one of us were bought with the price. We were redeemed. I 
least. Secondly, it's a change of focus is an answer. And that's a focus on the needs of others and the good points of others. And being empathetic, putting ourselves in other people's shoes, being moved with compassion, as we see with Jesus in his work. Many times he was, he was moved with compassion. Or in, in that term in the, our English Bibles, we go over so quickly, but the idea is it compassionated, or it got him in the, in the, in the belly. It moved him. It affects how we talk about people and issues, things we say, things we share. Would I want the things I'm saying to be said about me? Even if they are true, are they necessary? Ephesians 4.15 talks about speaking the truth in love. And then also... We need to consciously and conscientiously break down barriers that make people among us feel marginalized. And this is um, this is really tough because um, if um, For example, if I um, say, you know, I we just we just never get invited to other people's places. We see other people doing it, we just don't. So if we say that out loud, well, some something will happen out of mercy, and that don't help actually much. And um, another another thing, I guess, one thing that um, I uh, I'm not sure if I should mention this thing or not, but just giving an example. So there, we have a term in this community. I never heard it till I got here, and um, I wish I wish it would be exterminated. I think it's peculiar to this valley, and I hope it didn't go over this mountain. I really don't. It's called got up games, and what got up games means to some people is different to others. And I think there's been a shift over the years. But there was a time when got-up games in this valley meant the good players. They were the ones that got invited. The others didn't get invited. And, you know... um, and I guess, to be honest, I don't care if you call them got-up games or whatever. And I'm fine with young people getting together and play. What I'm saying is we need to be sensitive about the exclusiveness of some of that. Because it cuts to the heart at a time that's crucial in our young people. And I am convinced... This is, I'm convinced that there are people that are not walking with God today because of that habit. That's a strong statement. And yes, they made bad choices. But are we willing to repent and consider 
that maybe our joy and our blitz and our playing our game with the good players where we didn't have the ball hitting the ground so often wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. Those games will burn in hell. I'm fine with young people getting together and playing. And I will say, I'm not here blaming the young people or trying to get, I'm fine with stirring you up to a good conscience. But this is a mentality that is caught and passed on by who we want our children to be with. And this goes on. We need to be careful in, in how we express ourselves in those things. Another thing is do things with more than just family. And I, one thing I have come to discover, I think, is that often when there are big family groups in a congregation, they're not together doing things all the time as much as we all think they are. They simply don't have the time. Till, and actually, they have a disadvantage. Because till they get done with all the birthdays, there isn't, there isn't much other time for them. It's a struggle to do, do things with more than just family. But um, I would say... But if try to be conscientious about that, about doing more than just things with just family. Initiate. You know, we could say, and that's kind of why I used the the example about me not being invited. Invitations are often reciprocal. And um, I would say if you have a, if you feel like you're not getting invited and you're being left out, we have a church size here. I would say just make a list and start going through and working at inviting every family in the church. And by the time you get through that list, um, you can look back. You might find out that you're doing most of the hosting. That's fine too. But you can. Practice blessing others. And that's just an example. At the bottom, I think we need to practice being a giver and not a taker. And having said that, we need to be humble and willing enough when we have needs to take, to be the taker, so to speak. We need to receive. But when we receive a blessing from the Lord... We need to be willing also to pass on, to reciprocate. Practice thinking, how can I bless others? What could I, what could I do to bless someone today? And finally, change the things about yourself that you have the power to change. And learn to accept the things you can. And many times, many times, I recognize this, that when we feel marginalized, when we feel outcast, when we feel different, it's a lot bigger thing to me than it is to other people. Many times other people don't even think about it really as much as it feels like to us. And that's it's important to accept the things about ourselves that can't be changed. I think it's important to not take the publican approach or where you could think, well, uh, just look at people that are worse than me and I can be thankful. But I think it is good to contemplate the blessings we have. And that it could be worse. The things we have going for us. And I say this and realizing that the feelings of loneliness and marginalization can be 
simply overwhelming. And the thing, it seems like we hear of more instances of suicide, even in our plain circles. And I believe that um, overall, and this is a this is something that can be said and should be said for the churches. It should be a healing place. And overall, there are um, this is not common, but it's something that that uh, happens when needs aren't being met. We noticed there was there was value in the lepers in this story. There was value in having them near Samaria. And I've also noticed that often when there's someone that people that are being marginalized or interacting with those or when when working with people that have been marginalized I've noticed that that um they often on very complicated um social and spiritual issues they consider them more accurately because they've they've gone through things at a deeper level than what maybe than what I'm able even and i believe that might be why in in corinthians paul said if you have judgments of things pertaining to this life set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. It's because there's actually experience there. And often as those things are related to, they have, they have experience and they have a burden for helping others through similar experience. I think an important thing to remember is that as we are it, it brings a level of empathy and compassion and understanding, but it's a different experience. Every experience, the deep, hard experience we go through is our own. It's not someone else's. It's not the same. It's similar. So this morning, where do you identify yourself? Are you the leper outside the gate or in the security of the city? Are you the outcast or the outcaster? And is that the only option? Christ is our example to not become a leper, to have empathy and compassion for the leper. Empathy and compassion went further than saying what was wrong with the people and telling them that they are living with their bad choices. Christ was an agent of change, and that's Christ's desire today is to be that agent of change in his church. He said, go and sin no more. Levi was a faithful disciple of 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 Christ and the woman caught in adultery. His life sentence was pardoned. Lazarus was comforted in Abram's bosom. The gathering demoniac was a great missionary in Decapolis. And the bottom line is that we are all lepers of the worst sort without Christ. And in Christ, we are new creatures. And I'm not here this morning to say that this church has done it all wrong. I simply want to encourage us 
I'm willing to say that we could have done better at times, and I want to encourage us to do better. In closing, I'd like to read Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. I believe this is this is the prophecy of Christ. This is the heart of Christ. To his time and to this time, to his church. And this is this is this God's desire that this is a reality in our lives. Isaiah sixty one, verse one The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And I think that's an important aspect. Is that as we are the bride of Christ. And that's what, that's what, this, that's what this photo we just took us, that snapshot. Is the bride of Christ. It's not that picture of perfection. It's that picture of Christ, the, all of us that Christ has healed. Brought us together as that tree that he may be glorified. Let's have a closing song.